welcome to y'all. Welcome to y'all. Yo, yeah, can you tell where I just went a couple hours ago and had me some Georgia-induced Tex-Mex fast food? Yeah, I think you could figure it out. Welcome to, uh, they're not a sponsor, so I'm not going to give them a, a free plug here on the Y'all Show, but you get my drift. Hello, welcome in. We got a whole new week of talking about the South, and indeed, we do welcome you into the show about the South. I'm General John Rawl, and for the next three hours, we've got non-stop conversation about what's going on in the South, and the big story today is hurricane-turned-tropical-storm Ida, and our thoughts certainly to the folks in Louisiana and Mississippi currently being hit pretty hard by this, even remnants of Ida causing problems in South Alabama today. We'll bring you the latest on this Category 4 hurricane when it hit Louisiana's coast on Sunday afternoon. That's coming up here on Talk with the Naxxon on all things Southern. Also coming up in our headlines today as we walk through the latest coming out of Washington, D.C. and President Joe Biden. Over the weekend, the list of the 13 great American heroes killed in that blast at the airport was released. And we've got the hometowns of these great heroes, some of which are from right here in the South. I'll share that very heartwarming and touching information when we go through our headlines across the southeast in just a second now the actions of president joe biden and or should i say inaction has caused at least one south carolina congressman to draft up impeachment papers and he's now filing that and it is a bid to impeach president biden coming from the south carolina lawmaker jeff duncan from the Rock Hill area, I believe, is where his district is in South Carolina. We'll have information about that coming up in our headlines today. Plus, also, some sad news out of Georgia. A police chief found dead after his vehicle ran off the road. I'll tell you what town in Georgia that information comes to us from. I started out today talking about some fine dining out of Georgia and a national chain that does kind of a Tex-Mex thing. There's a fine dining place out of Charlotte, North Carolina called Bojangles. They kind of do biscuits and chicken. and mm, I'm a big fan of their deliciously seasoned Cajun fries. Bojangles closing eateries across the South today as well as another Monday coming up soon because of the problems that they currently are undergoing with their staff. And they're closing for, for the staff to have a well-deserved break, but they're not getting paid. That won't be sitting too well with some of the Bojangles workers, I'm sure. And we'll tell you about that story. Bojangles Chicken, great place located in about half of the south right now. I'll bring you an update on their decision. Also, Disney World is to resume selling annual passes. A lot of you have kind of put off your trip to Disney World. We'll be sharing with you today on our headlines across the south What's going on with Orlando's own Disney World? Also here on the first hour of today's Y'all Show, we'll have some sports news going on as college football kicks off big time this week. We'll let you know some college football news plus cuts going on right now in the NFL world. We'll fill you in on that and so much more as we take a quick look at the happenings of the southern sports world 
coming up later this hour. And as we get ready for the start of college football in its big way, I know there were a couple of kind of warm-up acts, if you will, from this past weekend. How about Illinois knocking off Wisconsin, or rather knocking off Nebraska? Nebraska and Wisconsin do look a lot alike, and now that they're in the same conference, they look even more alike. But how about Brett Belima, the former Pig Suey head man, goes into Champaign-Urbana, and he gets a win, a nice comeback win for the Illini on Saturday over Nebraska. Scott Frost, well, the frost is off the pumpkin, Scott, and the pressure is now on Nebraska. But that was, I would say, the warm-up act, what happened on the gridiron this past weekend. It gets going big time. In fact, we've got college football Wednesday. Wednesday night, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks and the UAB Blazers have a game in Montgomery. We will tell you about that. Some top 25 teams in action Thursday. Great games Friday. North Carolina, Virginia Tech's going to be Friday. Saturday, loads of great college football. Good football played on Sunday as Florida State and Notre Dame get together at Doak Campbell Stadium. And on Monday, the finale, it's Louisville of the ACC playing the Mississippi Land Sharks. And that game from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic Monday night. What a great time, the start of college football. And we'll talk about that here today on the Y'all Show. But specifically this hour, we're going to roll out. we got a lot of heartbroken people in Louisiana today. They've had a rough go of it with Hurricane Ida. But to perhaps ease the minds, to have perhaps put a little bit of a smiley face on the state of Louisiana and more. I didn't schedule it. I promise you this was not arranged to be this way. But today we already had it on the books that our featured college on our 44 city tour, oddly enough, today, this Monday, the LSU Tigers. So today we're going to go to Baton Rouge, a very rain-soaked, wind-damaged Baton Rouge, and tell you about Ed Orgeron's team, which has actually left Baton Rouge. They have an opening game against UCLA this weekend, and the Tigers took off early from Baton Rouge, and they drove over to Houston. And they're in Houston this week preparing for their road trip to Tinseltown to take on the UCLA Bruins for their opener on Saturday. So we'll tell you about in our number one LSU football. We'll hear from Ed Orgeron, head coach of the Bayou Bengals. And I thought about him on Sunday because when I looked at where Hurricane Ida was passing over, it was right there at La Rose. That is Ed Orgeron's hometown right on Bayou Lafouche. And it was going over that area in Homa mid-afternoon on Sunday. And I thought about his mama and just how they've been hit by hurricanes for a lot of lot of years. And this one was a beast when it came through that part of Louisiana on Sunday. But LSU, our feature school, our number one, in addition to hearing from the head coach of the Bayou Bengals, we'll let you know about their schedule. We'll tell you some of the LSU football history for all you Tiger fans out there or all you haters of the Tigers. We'll let you know about all that here in our number one. 
and we'll also kind of give you some of the predictions for Ed Orgeron's 2021 team. Remember, this is a program just two years ago captured a national championship. Joe Burrow was skippering the team at that point. But it's all LSU here on today's Y'all Show. Our number one also includes a quick look at some Southern history as we've got a couple things that have happened in history here this week that we will discuss with you as our feature of Southern history spotlighted on Monday. Hour number two today. Hey, we're going to have fun. In addition to catching up with more headlines from across Dixie, we will have our hurricane spotter himself drop by. It is Jerry Short, the Takapola storyteller. And Jerry's going to be coming on a little bit later in the show to tell us about his own experience going through hurricanes in Louisiana. And we'll also talk to him about something that I discovered when I was at the post office today. All that coming up with our guy, Jerry Short, hour number two. Melissa Rhodes has a southern accent on food coming up in hour number two. Hour three, we're going to kind of wind things down today, talking about the sports update of the South. More on LSU. In fact, hour three. Stick around because we'll discuss LSU's great university. Remember, this is actually a school that is not just a school where people go to learn to be doctors and lawyers, but they also go to LSU because it's an agricultural school. And it also started out as the Old War School. It was a military school originally located in Pineville, Louisiana, near Alexandria. We'll discuss all that in our number three, the history of LSU, the famous alumni of Louisiana State University. Plus, we will also tell you some of the great traditions. And boy, do they have great traditions of the purple and gold. That's all in our number three. Plus, we'll also speak in the hurricanes that have just come through the south. And unfortunately, more are sure to be coming to Dixie over the next couple of months. We've got some tips in our number three for using a generator safely in a hurricane. That's something you might want to print out here after we get done today and keep it in a safe place and pull it out when you need to. Tips on using a generator safely in a hurricane. That plus a preview of the show here going forward for the rest of the week. All right here on Talk with an Accent on the South. If you'd like to be involved with the show that accentuates the South, our number is 803-816-1170. Our website is y'all.com. That's Y-A-L-L.com. Did you realize that y'all.com is the South's official homepage? We have made it. And you might not have read about it in your local paper, your local fish wrapper. But I'm telling you, we're the South's homepage, and you got to check it out. we got so much great stuff and more coming. It's y'all.com. Please bookmark it. Also, go over to Facebook, and please follow our Facebook page, y'all.com. Just search y'all.com, and you'll see that beautiful red and white y'all logo. And if you'll just do us a courtesy and subscribe or follow us, you'll be locked in and loaded on what's going on across the southeast. Let's kick off this first hour of discussion about the southeast with Hurricane Ida on our mind. Unfortunately, the hurricane which hit Louisiana's coast on Sunday afternoon. Unfortunately, stories now and this developing story is coming out more and more with each passing hour. Unfortunately, Louisianans are being trapped, floodwaters rising. And also, this hurricane has shattered the power grid of Louisiana and surrounding areas. Residents living amid the maze of rivers and bayous 
along the state's Gulf Coast desperately tried to get out in time. Some had to go when the hurricane passed through, went to their attics or roof, and posted their addresses on social media with instructions for search and rescue teams or where to find them. And more than a million customers in both Louisiana and Mississippi, including all of the city of New Orleans, now without power, as Ida, one of the most powerful hurricanes to ever hit the United States mainland, came through Sunday and early Monday as its storm and its winds were still very powerful even earlier today. And now it's weakened into a tropical storm, but it has definitely affected the power grid. Only one loss of life that I can report at this time, thank goodness, a motorist drowned in New Orleans. Also, it looks like a person was hit by a falling tree outside of Baton Rouge. So the death count may now be up to two across the southeast, the Gulf South states for right now. Christina Stevens is the spokesperson for Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards. And she said, given the level of destruction, she said, we're going to have many more confirmed fatality. Governor Bell's office said damage to Governor John Bell Edwards' office said damage to the power grid appeared catastrophic. That, again, is why you see the entire city of New Orleans, evidently, without power right now. And this is a continuing story that we'll be covering. The crazy thing about Ida hitting the Gulf Coast on Sunday afternoon, it was the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina coming ashore in 2005, and that storm caused 1,800 deaths in the Gulf South. Now, the latest on Ida, after hitting Louisiana Sunday into early Monday, it has gone north, and right now, as we're talking, this storm is in Mississippi primarily, hitting the Jackson, Mississippi area at the current time, and it's slowly crawling. It's not going very fast at this point, but please, if you're going to be in central Mississippi, northeast Mississippi, northwest Alabama, and even portions of southern middle Tennessee, and even extreme southeast west Tennessee around essentially Pickwick, you might want to pay extra, extra close to your local weather forecast. As this thing now, as it slows, still has a powerful rainfall punch that's going to be affecting areas we just know from a week ago what happened in middle tennessee with more than 20 people dying in drownings around waverly tennessee and so this thing could stall and pull off a similar effect across several of the southern states this week and with all the rainfall and more whether it's louisiana or mississippi or tennessee alabama Look for problems that you don't normally expect. For example, in Kelowna, Louisiana, a nuclear power plant there lost power during Ida, and backup diesel generators are now having to provide electricity to the plant. Entergy Nuclear had to announce that. So a nuclear plant, for goodness sake, having to go to a backup analog system, if you will, to try to keep going. So lots of problems, again, with Ida. The Good news at this point, if there is any good news, and this could change. We could be erasing what I'm just saying, and I'll have to apologize for even putting a positive spin. But for right now, I'm only thankfully reporting on two deaths. I thought this thing being the 
size that it was that, that it came ashore as right around 150 miles per hour we're lucky that we don't already have reports of a whole lot more deaths than we do and that could be coming and i hope hope that is not the case but at right now it's just lots of damage and lots of down power lines with again more people out of power at this point the new orleans airport shut down lewis armstrong new orleans airport passengers are recommended to check directly with their airline for the most up-to-date information also this was a little bit of an unusual thing that i found out is with hurricane ida i saw one headline that said about let's see i think i guess it was talking about the nuclear power plant so that story has been updated here's how you can help if you are not in an area where ida has come ashore and caused problems we do have ways for you to help out so you can give to the salvation army a one-time amount to the salvation army would be very helpful and you can specify that you want the money to go to hurricane ida efforts just google salvation army and you can assist that way also the american red cross cross currently seeking donations there's also feed the second line this is a louisiana organization who states on their Instagram page that all donations they get in the month of September, October will go toward helping people recover from Hurricane Ida. There's also Global Giving. A website has a relief fund set up for Hurricane Ida victims. The Red Cross, where there's a $10 minimum, you can go to their website. Also, Catholic Charities USA is another option for you if you want to help out those across Louisiana And right now, Mississippi is being hit pretty hard, too, from hurricane-turned-tropical-storm Ida. Now to news from Washington, D.C. First of all, speaking of President Biden, he has declared a a state of emergency or a natural disaster. His typical thing he declares, he's already declared it for both Louisiana and Mississippi today. Joe Biden in trouble today during a FEMA briefing about Hurricane Ida. He called Cedric Richmond, a former congressman, mentioned the word boy about Cedric Richmond during this meeting. The actual quote was, I'm here with my senior advisor and a boy who knows Louisiana very, very well and New Orleans, Cedric Richmond. Those the words from President Joe Biden. Okay, he called Cedric Richmond boy. That's not something you normally call anybody, but especially a black male. In fact, that's a big no-no. Boy is considered to be racially derogatory toward black men. And there have been others who have been criticized for saying the same type words. And here, Joe Biden making this statement about Cedric Richmond in public today. I wonder... How big of a deal this is going to be, if any big deal. If it were the shoe on the other foot, I think this would be impeachment, would be probably something that they would push after such a statement. We'll just see how much attention this gets. A South Carolina congressman has now sponsored an impeachment of Joe Biden. Jeff Duncan is a South Carolina congressman, and he has put out a statement saying it's time to take action and remove the sitting president from office due to his gross negligence that undermined our national security, led to the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan, 
and resulted in a grave humanitarian crisis. And now he's filed paperwork in Congress to impeach Joe Biden. And Representative Marjorie Greene of Georgia has tweeted back at Rep. Jeff Duncan on Twitter saying, Thank you, Congressman Duncan, for co-sponsoring. <laughs> I didn't realize she had also sponsored this thing. Thank you for co-sponsoring my articles of impeachment against Joe Biden related to Afghanistan. It's time for Congress to hold this administration accountable. Joe Biden must be impeached, period, immediately, period. So here we go with more impeachment efforts coming from people in Washington, D.C. The question is, are any Democrats going to go along with this? And don't be surprised if you don't see a few. I know that right now Republicans are about 10 on the on the ba- bad side. I think there's 10 more, roughly 10, might be 7 more Democrats in Congress than Republicans at the current time. Will any Democrats go for impeachment? I think you might have a few because we know that there's already been criticism of the way President Biden has handled this absolute embarrassing debacle that he could have certainly handled in a much better way. There, there's just, I'm sorry, there's just no way around it. And especially the way early on he didn't treat this like a big deal. And it has cost lives. It has cost lives unnecessarily. Now, some people might point to, to Trump in the early days of the coronavirus and say that he did not handle that well. Maybe, maybe there should have been an effort to impeach him for that early on. I don't think anybody tried to impeach him for in the handling of the coronavirus. But here we are a year and a half later since the early days of corona. And this thing is now going up to levels that I don't think we had quite this kind of level in some areas of the South, even in the worst of times in 2020. I may be off a little bit on that, but I know people are just as scared now as they were in the height of the coronavirus of 2020. So we'll see how much steam this South Carolina slash Georgia move to impeach President Joe Biden gets South Carolina because this Congressman Jeff Duncan from that state and Georgia because of Marjorie Greene and her effort to co-sponsor legislation to impeach the 46th president of the United States. One last news story, then we'll take a break, get over to some sports goings-on across the South today. We want to do our proper duty here on this show. We are certainly big supporters of our United States military. We lost 13 great members of our military during that blast at the Hamid Karzai International Airport in Afghanistan last week. And as a result of the loss of lives over the weekend, we found out the names and hometowns of the 13. So let me give a proper y'all show salute to our 13 military members who gave the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan. Navy Corpsman Maxton Soviak, 22 years old, from Berlin Heights, Ohio. Marine Lance Corporal Dylan Mariola of Rancho Cucamonga, California. He was 20 years old. Corporal Hunter Lopez of the United States Marine Corps, 
of Indio, California, and 20-year-old Kareem Nikyo. He was a lance. He was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps from Norco, California. Also killed in that blast in Kabul, Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover, a 31-year-old from Salt Lake City, a Lawrence, Massachusetts Navy, 30, a 25-year-old Marine Corps Sergeant Johnny Rosario Picardo, 23-year-old Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole G of Roseville, California, 23-year-old Marine Corps Corporal Dagan Page of Omaha, Nebraska, Marine Corps Corporal Humberto A. Sanchez, 22, of Logansport, Indiana, Marine Corps Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, 20 years old, of Jackson, Wyoming. And then we lost three Southerners in this blast. From Rio Bravo, Texas, Marine Corps Lance Corporal David Espinoza, only 20 years old. From St. Charles, Missouri, 20-year-old Marine Corps Lance Corporal Jared M. Schmitz. And lastly, a United States Army member, Staff Sergeant from the Knoxville area, Corrington, Tennessee is his native town. We lost the 13th soldier to be killed was Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus, age 23, again from the Knoxville area, and he was most recently stationed to Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Our thoughts and prayers to the families and to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice to our country, 13 again killed on Thursday of last week, August 26, right there at the airport in Kabul, Afghanistan. The Y'all Show, talk with an accent on all things Southern, continues after this break. And he'll tell her he's working late again. She knows too well there's something going on She's been neglected And she needs a friend So her trembling fingers dial the telephone Lord, it hurts her Doing this again He's the best friend that her husband ever knew When she's lonely He's more than just a friend He's the one she longs to give her body to Daytime friends and nighttime lovers Hoping no one else discovers Where they go, what they do in their secret hideaway They time friends and lifetime lovers They don't want to hurt the other So they love in the nighttime And shake hands in the light of day We're back on talk with an accent on everything Southern Love us some gambler music here We're back on talk with an accent with a little Southern sports in mind 
for this segment. And Sean Payton is the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, and he does not expect his team to return to the Big Easy this week after Hurricane Ida has passed through and caused a lot of devastation in the Pelican State. Coach Payton said he was unaware of any significant damage to the team's practice facility in Metairie. He expects the team to practice in the Dallas area this entire week because of widespread power outages and other damage throughout the New Orleans and Louisiana area. Peyton said he did not yet know about the status of Caesars Superdome. That's the new name. They got rid of Mercedes-Benz and in comes Caesars. As the Saints have a week one home opener scheduled for Caesars Superdome on September 12th against the Green Bay Packers. Remember, In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina passed through that area, the Superdome was turned into a refuge for all kinds of New Orleans residents. That primarily was because of the levees failing at that point and people had to rush in there and it just got destroyed because of roof leaks and just people living in there and the filth and the muck. It was Really an amazing thing. They turned that thing around in a couple of weeks and actually had regular season games for the Saints in the Superdome in 2005. Let's hope this year, and with Hurricane Ida now passing through, that the levees hold and this thing passes through and causes the least amount of damage as it possibly could, although we do know already at least two deaths attributed to Ida and millions and millions of dollars of damage to property. But that's what the Saints' plan is, to practice in the Dallas area. In fact, I think they're going to practice this week at the Cowboys Stadium there in Arlington because the Cowboys themselves have an impressive facility of their own in Frisco, Texas, so they don't necessarily use Jerry Dome, Jerry World, AT&T Stadium for practices. And I think the Saints have turned that into a practice facility here this week. LSU has moved their football practicing to Houston. I'm going to tell you a lot more about the Bayou Bengals in the forthcoming segment. But speaking of Hurricane Ida and college football from the Pelican State, I was really, really looking forward to Tulane University getting a chance to host Mighty Oklahoma on the Tulane campus Saturday. Oklahoma was going to New Orleans for a game. Unfortunately, the game set for Saturday there at the site of the old Sugar Bowl, now called Yulman Stadium, it will not be played in New Orleans. Tulane and Oklahoma have announced that as a result, a shelter-in-place order for Tulane's campus has been put into effect as the university's damage assessment and recovery team are out looking at an assessment of the Tulane campus, including Yulman Stadium. So this game, I'm trying to figure out where they're going to play it. Okay, here's the here's the news release. The Green Wave football team has relocated to Birmingham, Alabama, where it will practice throughout the week. Tulane has contingency plans to play the game at Oklahoma. And the game is scheduled to be moved scheduled not 100 percent confirmed to be played in norman at this point i was wondering if they're going to play this game at uab stadium in downtown birmingham which is a beautiful brand new 
place that has not even hosted a football game. I was thinking, what are the chances that Oklahoma and Tulane would be the first college football game played at that brand-new downtown Birmingham Stadium? I don't know if that's going to happen, but it looks like Norman is where this game's going to be held. I hope Oklahoma will do the right thing and come back and try to play Tulane in New Orleans soon because that would go a long way to an embattled Tulane Athletics Department, which has come a long way. You talk about hurricanes, you talk about Katrina. Remember in 2005, the the absolute hell that Tulane University went through and their athletic teams, what they had to go through playing. I remember their football team had about three different places they played that year. They played in Shreveport. They played, I think, in Ruston was a site. I think they might even played a game in Louisiana Lafayette Stadium as they were essentially run out of New Orleans for a whole year, and they found a way to come back. That's a ESPN 30 for 30 right there somebody needs to be making about how Tulane survived that, and frankly, Tulane has advanced since 2005. They've had a very good football team the last few years. Willie Fritz has done a good job. They've had a better basketball program, and just, I think, athletically building Yulman Stadium and getting the green wave out of the abyss that Mercedes-Benz Superdome was for a college game. (laughs) They've made college football exciting with that beautiful stadium right on the Tulane campus. It's a small stadium, only about 30,000, but they don't need a gigantic stadium like they had back in the old Superdome days for Tulane football. So wish them well. looks like Tulane, Oklahoma being moved And we'll have more sports news going on throughout the day. We have an official starting quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'll tell you about that as we continue on here with our headlines across the southeast today. Also, Texas, the Longhorns also saying who they're going to have suiting up at QB for that program. We'll share you with you that information as we continue on with our headlines and more on today's y'all show when we come back on talk with an accent on all things southern we'll switch over and tell you about not Tulane out of the state of louisiana but louisiana state university out of louisiana we'll get you set for the 2021 opener the tigers have against ucla that and we'll hear from ed orgeron that's coming up next on talk with an accent on the south The South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour stop. Here's Johnny. And in addition to putting your chin strap on, you better make sure you got a heavy-duty, extra-padded helmet because we're taking you into Tiger Stadium where projectiles fly from the upper balcony onto you if you're an opposing fan. Today, it's all about the LSU Tigers, the Tigers, and Ed Orgeron set for the 2021 opener at UCLA. We'll hear from the head coach in a moment, but right now... It's the LSU Fight Song. 
right, that'll get you ready for Saturday, will it not? We're back on talk with an accent on the south, and we're on this 44-city journey. And Baton Rouge is the home of great college football. It is the home of absolute royalty in terms of tailgating. And it's the home of your 2019 college football national champion, LSU Tigers. We're going to hear from that coach that guided the purple and gold to the natty just a few years ago. We'll hear from Ed Orgeron in a second as Hurricane Ida has packed a punch in Louisiana today. We want to, first of all, say our hearts are certainly in prayers out to those in Louisiana, including those who've lost their lives and the people who've had property damage and more. Don't want to discount the fact of what's happening in that state right now. But what's also happening in Louisiana is unfortunately hurricane season and college football kind of collide each fall, except whenever you have spring football too, as some teams had to go through that this year because of COVID. But this year it is LSU on the gridiron, and they begin the season Saturday night in, not Death Valley, the Rose Bowl, as LSU is traveling all the way out to Cali, as Pasadena welcomes in the Tigers and the UCLA Bruins for the season opener. This is going to be from Pasadena's Rose Bowl at 7.30, and I assume that's central time. Uh, Yeah, so so that would be 5.30 Pacific time, 7.30 Baton Rouge time for the Tigers and the Bruins Saturday night. That game is going to be televised on the Fox Network. The Tigers return, return home where I think it's going to be an Orgeron family clash as his son has been the starting quarterback of the McNeese State Cowboys. And McNeese rides into Tiger Stadium for LSU's home opener on September 11th. The Tigers have Central Michigan coming in for a game on September 18th. Then it's SEC play starting off at Davis Wade Stadium. Mississippi State hosts LSU on September 25th. The All-Tiger Clash happens on October 2nd when the Tigers welcome in the Auburn Tigers. Kentucky is the opponent. Kroger Field is the site October 9th when LSU and Kentucky renew their crazy, I won't call it rivalry, but, boy, they always have crazy games between these two. Do they not? You know, the bluegrass miracle? (laughs) Florida comes into Tiger Stadium for a big game October 16th. The rivalry with Mississippi, the Magnolia Bowl. That game is set for Vault Hemingway Stadium on the University of Mississippi campus on October 23rd. The Tigers travel to Bryant-Denny, where Alabama awaits November 6th is that game. The Arkansas Razorbacks come in for the Battle of the Golden Boot, that game November 13th. Then they have a game at Baton Rouge against Louisiana Monroe on November 20th. They wrap up the season at home against the Aggies on November 27th. And that's the season as it lies ahead for LSU football. Now, LSU currently is not practicing on the Baton Rouge campus. They have left this week because of Hurricane Ida. They've evacuated, and LSU currently practicing in Houston. The LSU football team left on Saturday night and arrived Gosh, it was a late night, Saturday night. They arrived 8 o'clock Sunday morning in Houston where they'll practice all week. The team got on the interstate I-10. I guess it took them about 10 hours to make what would normally be a four-hour trip from Baton Rouge to Houston. So 
Ooh, not fun. That's why it took when they left out at 9.30 Saturday night, 8 a.m. I wonder if they practiced on Sunday. If Coach Orgeron wanted to play hardball, he might have been out there screaming at them and making them get ready for UCLA at the Rose Bowl this weekend. LSU and Ed Orgeron, it's been a pretty good marriage, don't you think? A lot of people didn't think this guy could come in there and do what he's done, win a national championship. I saw Ed Orgeron coaching in his first year as a head coach, 2005. He was a dumpster fire back in 2005 when he was coaching the Ole Miss Rebels. But he's kind of paid his dues, and he turned it around, and LSU gave him the opportunity to be head coach, and this is his dream job. And what he's done in his now, this would be his sixth full year. Gosh, that's hard to believe. Although I think uh, it would be his fifth full year. In 2016, he kind of took over on an interim basis and led the Tigers to a decent record that year, even won the Citrus Bowl 2016. But since that time, 2017, he won nine games that year. 2018, 10-win season. That magical 2019 year where they were 15-0 and and won the national championship against Clemson. Then 2020 was a crazy year. It was a rebuild. They finished 5-5. Five and five. They did not go to a bowl game for some things happening off of the gridiron for that program. But this year it's a clean start for Ed Orgeron's LSU Tigers. And a lot of pressure is on the LaRose, Louisiana native, the 60-year-old coach who have kind of played briefly at LSU back in 79 before he transferred to the Demons of Northwestern State. And the 60-year-old coach, I know he's had a lot of distractions. He's been divorced since the last year of college football got going. He's got his boys who are growing into his twin boys, I think are grown men now. And the pressure of what's been going on with Les Miles and how that whole affair from Les Miles coaching nearly seven, eight years ago, trickling down to what's happening with LSU right now, that is affecting the head of Ed Orgeron and the LSU program. This is a proud football program. This is a college football program that has claimed four national titles. Starting back in 58 with Billy Cannon, the Heisman Trophy winner of 59, they won that 58 national championship, came back, won it in 2003 with Nick Saban, 2007 with Les Miles, and then Coach Ed Orgeron's 2019 team, maybe the best of all of them, with that 15-0 record. LSU also has an additional five unclaimed national titles that they like to put up on their display case. They've won 12 SEC titles in this program's history. Certainly one of the giants of SEC football are the LSU Tigers. And Baton Rouge, Saturday night there, of course, we'll talk more about the tradition of old, of LSU when we get over into hour number three. But that tradition includes the great games that they've had against teams like Ole Miss in years past and just uh, tremendous fan support that LSU enjoys. It's all LSU today on the Y'all Show. Let me go back to Ed Orgeron, the guy that played briefly at LSU and then has come back, returned to the place right up the Bayou Lafouche area from his hometown of La Rose, in La Rose, Louisiana. And let's hear from the guy talking here this week about his football team as it prepares to take on UCLA and the season opener on Saturday. Well, it always is, but especially this year. 
especially our team knows it. You know, we're going across the country. We're playing in the Rose Bowl. We're playing on a national stage. Uh, now, we didn't play like we wanted to last year, but you know what? We ended we ended up with two big wins. Hopefully, we can continue to play well and continue to build a championship program that we're building. But this game is probably the most important starting game that I've had since I'm a, a head coach. And our team knows that. For us to get in the right foot, to get to where we want to be, we have to start well. You know, I think that we get Chason Hines back. I think that we get Anthony Bradford back. I think we'll be full goal. And uh, those guys are experienced. Uh, they haven't uh, practiced the whole um, camp together. But I think that won't take them long. I think next week, if we can get them all together for a week and uh, we get some continuity, I think those guys are going to um, perform very well because they're experienced. Spent 11 great years out there. USC was a, a great place. My, you know, my, my babies were raised there. Uh, we had a great time there. I lived there for 11 years. I love Los Angeles. I love the people of Los Angeles. I love USC. I had a lot of great friends. I had a lot of friends out there. But you know what? I'm happy, proud to be at LSU, which is home, and, and to be able to go back into the Rose Bowl. Uh, we've had some battles in that place, and uh, it, it's a tremendous place to play. That was the head coach of the Bayou Bengals as his team again set for a Saturday night clash at the Rose Bowl to start 2021. We will tell you more about LSU's its great academic reputation. We'll discuss the famous alumni of Louisiana State University. And also we'll talk about those game day traditions you'll find when you head into Tiger Stadium. That's all coming up in hour number three. We'll wrap up this first hour of Talk with a Southern Accent, a focus on Southern history. That's up next, y'all. As Coach Rogeron would say, Go Tigers! Wrapping up hour number one here on Talk with an Accent on Everything Southern. I'm John Rawl, thanking you for making us a part of your day here on the Y'all Show to start out each week. We take some time in this first hour to tell you what's going on this week in Southern history. It was this week back in 1783, the Treaty of Paris was signed. And do y'all know what the Treaty of Paris was all about? Well, representatives of a guy named King George III, he was from a place called Great Britain, he and a couple of American representatives got together and officially ended the American Revolution. And this new treaty that was signed in Paris, signed between the British Empire and North America and the United States of America, well, it ended the war and it helped create what we know today as the United States of America and some... Very, very distinguished Americans were part of the signing of this treaty in Paris in 1783, including a couple of folks with Southern 
connections. You had John Jay, John Adams. Those are all non-Southerners. Benjamin Franklin, Franklin uh, admirer. The South admires Ben Franklin, but he was a guy from a place called Pennsylvania. There was at least one good Southern fellow there. Henry Lawrence was part of the treaty signed there in Paris. Henry Lawrence was a rice planter who was from South Carolina, born and died in Charleston. Died in Charleston in 1792 at the age of 68. But Henry Lawrence was part of that commission. If you ever see the name Lawrence on maybe a city or county, he's a guy that goes back to the founding of the country and was one of the signees of the Treaty of Paris. Just after the Treaty of Paris back in 1803, we honor this week, born September 4th of 1803, Sarah Childress Polk, a first lady of the United States of America. She was the wife of the 11th president, James K. Polk. And Sarah was born in 1803 in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And she lived all the way to 1891. She died at the age of 87 in Nashville. And she was, again, the wife of James K. Polk. So I guess she would have been the first first lady born from the state of Tennessee. Sarah Childress Polk. Although Andrew Jackson's wife might have been born in Tennessee. I'd have to go back and look. But how about Murfreesboro? Murfreesboro's own Sarah Polk, born on September 4th, 1803. It was this week in 1864 that the Battle of Atlanta came to a close in the Civil War. This gigantic battle that commenced on July 22nd of 1864 essentially circled what we know of of Atlanta today. Atlanta in 1864 was really not a very big place. It just happened to be a railroad junction, thus the reason it was kind of a big, significant place on the map. And Union and Confederate forces clashed there. Union troops under the command of William Tecumseh Sherman, Confederate troops under primarily the command of John Bell Hood of Texas and William J. Hardy, they clashed ultimately a Union victory. And that's where General Sherman commenced his march to the sea toward Savannah. But the Battle of Atlanta, with Confederate troops essentially scooting out of there and letting the northern troops win the day, that wrapped up here. The city would fall to the northern troops, city of Atlanta, September 2nd, 1864. And as the old saying goes, Atlanta burnt to the ground over this Battle of Atlanta. Speaking of wars and battles and such, this week also marks victory over Japan Day from World War II. As officially the peace terms signed September 2nd on deck of the Mighty Mo, the USS Missouri, right there in Tokyo Bay. And it ended this tremendously deadly, bloody, awful five-year period, essentially, of World War II in the Pacific. And it was this week that the terms were signed. August 15th was the day that this surrender was announced, that the Japanese would end up getting out of the war. But it took a couple of weeks for them to actually gather and get the instrument of surrender signed, officially ending World War II. This week, 1945, victory over Japan 
day. And we still have a very, very small group of heroic Americans who fought in World War II. And to those of you who fought, I salute you. To those who fought in the Pacific Theater, a very special thank you. A very, very special thank you from all of us here at the Y'all Show. In fact, if you know someone who's a World War II veteran, please let me know. I'd love to talk to them. If they're able to talk to me, we are pro-military. We would love to get their story. 803-816-1170 is our number. You can also text us that number, or you can email us, mail, M-A-I-L, at y'all.com, mail at y'all.com. We'd love to take some time and honor our great heroes of World War II, the greatest generation. And this week, again, the closing of the Pacific Campaign with the signing on the deck of the Mighty Mo, the USS Missouri, which is on display still, I think, in California, but I'm not sure. It might be in Hawaii now that I think of it. Somewhere out there. Y'all talk with a southern accent. That wraps up hour one. We got a whole nother hour of talk about the South. Jerry Shorts, the Takapolo storyteller. He's going to be our featured guest in hour two. You don't want to miss out on the fun. So stay with us. I know most of the South right now is either having a deluge happen or there's a significant chance within a couple of hours you might be having to reach under the, oh, I guess the back seat somewhere and get that umbrella out because we're going to have a lot of rainfall in most of the South courtesy of what's now called Tropical Storm Ida. I'm John Rawl. Thank you for tuning us in on great radio stations across the Southeast today. 803-816-1170 is the way you can get in touch with us here on the show that is all about the Southeast. Hour two today, our Takapola storyteller is going to have Ida on his mind. Jerry Short dropping by in just a handful of moments. We'll find out what's going on in Takapola, how much weather problems they got there today. That's coming up. Also, Melissa Rhodes is going to be filing a southern accent on great southern food later this hour. We're here at the Dixie Cafe. Hope you're doing good, whatever portion of Dixie you're in today. Again, a likely chance you're getting a little wet today. Good thing I didn't go wash my car over the weekend. They say people don't go wash their cars when there's a threat of rain. That makes a lot of sense, especially... If you live in an area where you might get the uh, film on your car from pollution and more that comes down from a little rain, maybe if you got a dark car, you might be more likely to hold off. I got me a silver car these days. I think it holds up pretty well. I don't wash it too often, but what needs a little cleaning is my interior. Not from a messy standpoint, just take It gets a little dirt from time to time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The privileges of being an automobile owner. Most of you know exactly of what I speak of here on an accent of the Southeast. Let's go into some of the headlines before we welcome in our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, recapping Hurricane Ida. It came ashore Sunday afternoon with wind speeds around 150 miles per hour. Already, we know of at least two deaths attributed to Hurricane Ida from the state of Louisiana. Right now, Ida is causing a bit of a problem in central Mississippi as it works its way 
northeastward. I would say if you're in the Golden Triangle of Mississippi, if you're east of Tupelo, somewhere around, let's say, Fulton or Hamilton, Alabama, that area is likely going to have this thing come through, cause problems. And this thing is scheduled or it looks it looks like forecast to go more toward the Nashville area, scooting more toward the east of Nashville from some of the projections I saw. I don't think the wind speeds are going to be quite as scary as the threat of extreme flooding if this thing stalls over the next couple of hours. Millions in Louisiana are without electricity right now. And residents, how about this, residents told not to return home until further notice in New Orleans. That's a little bit of a developing story that I am not aware was not aware of. So, yes, if you are in the New Orleans area, please make sure you tune in to your local area forecast and or site you go to for local news. As, again, the latest out of New Orleans, people told not to return. A tweet from the city earlier today said, if you have evacuated out of New Orleans, we request that you do not return until further notice. There is widespread debris, power remains out, and emergency services are working to respond to those still in the city. We will let you know when it is safe to come home. A follow-up tweet, again, from the city of New Orleans on social media emphasized, quote, there is a complete lack of services available in New Orleans right now. The airport is shut down in New Orleans, and a lot of a lot of problems going on. Now, if you go back to 2005, remember, just after Hurricane Katrina primarily came ashore in Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi, and the west west side of the hurricane, I was over toward New Orleans. They dodged a bullet. They were happy in those first few hours. And then the levees broke, and it turned into a crisis in New Orleans. We're not quite to that point where they can breathe a sigh of relief. So that's probably one reason they're telling people to just stay out for right now. In Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves is telling his residents to remain vigilant. As he told the Weather Channel on Monday, I just want to make sure people aware in Mississippi we're still another 20 to 24 hours from getting out of this so stay vigilant and this gigantic storm with a lot of rain and gusty winds across Mississippi but also this is affecting Alabama and western Florida's panhandle that is the latest on Hurricane Ida if you want to help out you can donate to your local Salvation Army you can donate through the Red Cross There's also a Louisiana organization called Feed the Second Line that is donating throughout September and October to Hurricane Ida victims. In other news around the country today, a police chief of Colquitt, Georgia, has been found dead after his car ran off the road into some bushes. Chief of Police Kenny Kirkland was reported missing in Colquitt, Georgia, after he didn't show up for a Wednesday speaking engagement at a local church last week. And after a search, his body was found. After officials tracked the 51-year-old cell phone to his location in Miller County, Georgia. The city manager of Colquitt, Georgia, says it appears Chief Kirkland died from natural causes, possibly a heart attack. His body will undergo an autopsy by the Georgia Bureau 
of investigation. No other vehicles involved in the crash. The chief had worked in law enforcement for 30 years, nearly 20 of years of those in Colquitt, Georgia, where, again, he was the chief of police of that city. Kenny Kirkland, a member of the Long Blue Line, dying after his car ran off the road into some bushes in Colquitt, Georgia. Speaking of Georgia, Georgia leads the country, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. They lead the country in schools named after Confederate leaders. Man, what an impressive survey. I mean, all the money and all the time that the Southern Poverty Law Center puts into things. Wow. This is a Nobel Prize winning effort put out by this Montgomery-based organization, Southern Poverty Law Center. Yeah, they've wasted a lot of money, not necessarily taxpayer money because they are a private organization, but they get money for researching things like, well, something that probably should have taken them about five minutes, looking up where things are named after. And in Georgia, this new report says that that state has more schools named after Confederate leaders than any other state in the country. The SBLC has something called Who's Heritage. It's a database, and they found over 100 schools that commemorate leaders from the Confederacy. The report shows there are 45 public schools in Georgia named in honor of Confederate leaders. 35 of those schools are located in counties with Confederate namesakes. Following Georgia is Texas with 40 schools that are Confederate-based named schools. The state of Alabama has 22 a staff member from the Southern Poverty Law Center, Leisha Brooks, said, this state, in terms of Georgia she's talking about, this state is filled with worthy Georgians whose names schools would be proud to carry. But at least 45 of Georgia's public schools stand firmly on the wrong side of history, elevating men who fought to keep the U.S. divided. And they have a database, again, called Whose Heritage. You can go and search and see if the school you're going to is named after a Confederate. They call them leaders. Some of these schools are just named after soldiers. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know if they were leaders or not. That I guess is up to you to find out for yourself if you want to get into the history. But there's probably a reason some of these schools were named after these leaders, and a lot of them may have served in the Confederacy, but a lot of them may have done a whole lot more in their life besides serve in the Confederacy. Like you know the guy that started Coca-Cola. He did a lot to help out in his creation many of us enjoy each and every day. And there's probably a school somewhere in Georgia named after him. He's probably one of these <laughs> public schools. I haven't looked, though. I haven't looked at the database. That a story out of the Peach State today. And lastly, in a quick look at headlines today, more, much more important news than a database from the Southern Poverty Law Center Oh, this is just disturbing news if you're a fan of Bojangles. And I am a fan of the North Carolina-based chain of chicken biscuits and Cajun fries and all the other. they got a good breakfast at Bojangles. Bojangles has announced it will close all of its company-owned restaurants on two upcoming days, portraying it as a chance to provide thousands of employees with a well-deserved break amid very challenging times. As much as I like Bojangles, now that I read this story to you, this sounds a little fishy, even though I don't think they got fish on the menu at Bojangles. 
This sounds like they're trying to save a bunch of money. In a statement, Bojangles, the chicken and biscuit chain of restaurants located in probably half of the South right now, they described its 8,000 crew member managers, members and managers as its most vital asset. And it is encouraging them to use the upcoming closures that they're having today. And they've got another one set for September 13th. So what is that, two weeks from today? They're closing today and in two weeks on a Monday for an opportunity for Bojangles employees to rest and recharge. Bojangles' statement made no mention of whether its workers would be compensated during these closures, framing it as a benefit to its valued employees that would support their health and well-being. A reporter followed up with their spokesperson, Stacy McRae, to clarify whether staffers would be paid. And the staffer actually had the gall, the chicken biscuits, to say that Bojangles employees will be unpaid today and two weeks from now. Like I said, this chain, which started in the Queen City of Charlotte back in 1977, which has tons of locations in the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia. They've got them in Alabama now. They even had them one time in Mississippi. Can you believe a chicken restaurant couldn't make it in Mississippi? <laughs> I've seen it with my own eye. Bojangles couldn't make it in the Golden Triangle. Hard to believe because it's a good place. But, yeah, Bojangles, it looks like taking the cheap route, if I had to guess. Shutting down today and Two weeks from now, on Monday, to save a little money, I don't think it's more about trying to reward their employees. You would reward your employees by making them stay home and paying them. Pay the man, Bojangles. Pay the woman, Bojangles. Because I sure have given you plenty of money through the years with my very, very kind expenditures on those delicious Cajun fries. And they got some great tea at Bojangles, too. You know what's great? This guy's going to serve up some good biscuits in terms of great conversation. Jerry Short is our Takapola storyteller. He is up next, y'all. Stay tuned to talk with an accent on all things South. Broadcasting from the Dixie Cafe, the intersection of hot water, cornbread, and hot southern conversation. I'm General John Rawl, CSA, Certified Southern American. Joined now by a fellow CSA in our Takapola storyteller. His name is Jerry Short. And if you've never heard Dr. Short appear on Talk with a Southern Accent, Well, get ready, because for the next 30 minutes, we're going to really get one heck of a history lesson and a heck of a storytelling session coming from our guy 
from down Takapolo Way. And he's got a lot to say. In fact, Dr. Short today going to give us a little bit of a little meteorological report as he's got something to say about Hurricane Ida, which has hit the Gulf Coast of the South over the last few days. Jerry, are you currently dodging Ida? We might have had an inch all day. Okay. I'd say that'd be all. And, you know, I think it's just still south of us. It's not moving quite as fast. Once it hit land, it uh, it just kind of hung over Homer, Louisiana, and then it uh, it really hadn't picked up a lot of speed, even though it says, you know, they say it's got a long way to go coming up uh, through Tennessee and, unfortunately, back through Waverly area, hmm. which they've already been through theirs, I think. But, uh, no, it hadn't, uh, you know, we're under a tropical uh, storm advisory, but we're, we're really not seeing it. The leaves aren't blowing that much on the trees, and uh, we ain't had that much rain, thank goodness, because that's what worries me with this, get a little wind and and these roots, and this ground gets wet and blows big trees over, but uh not seen much of that All right. so far, so far. Good, good, been- good. Well, Jerry, I know you have been through your share of hurricanes in Louisiana, and I know that Louisiana is probably, if you look at a map of the Gulf Coast, it's about center up on the way the topography, the way the map structure set up if a storm were to come in there. And I think they had multiple hurricanes in just 2020 and already here. The calendar has it turned over to September. And here, this Category 4, nearly a Category 5 hurricane, Ida, hits Louisiana on Sunday. Jerry... Are the people there resilient enough to not let this get the best of them? Oh, yeah, I think they're even getting even more resilient. Uh, you know, I, looking back, I was thinking about it uh, when it was happening. The first hurricane that I ever really identify with, is, and the name may ring a bell with you because the name's retired, was Hurricane Audrey, and that was in uh, 57. And the reason that I remember so well, I was delivering newspaper, Memphis newspapers, and that was on the front page of the paper when I picked it up to fold it, but uh, to start delivering them. But it hit in 57 over on the uh, Sabine River in Texas where it comes in there at Lake Charles at Camera. Mm-hmm. It was really a big one, and it killed five. I think it probably killed at least 500 people. And uh, it came through and did about the same thing, and uh I believe it, it went on before it completely uh, petered out. It went into uh, Canada even going around. It maybe even had some flash floods in Canada. I know I know we got tornadoes off of it because uh, I remember one came through North Mississippi and my mother got me out of the theater but uh, because tornado warnings were out there. Uh, maybe and it was because what you were watching in the theater. Well, there was a movie called Poor White Trash. Uh, <laughs> Is that the name uh, of the movie? <laughs> The name of the movie. That's what you and were. You were still remember what you were watching. Uh, it was about that same time. Okay. Poor white about, trash. It, it, it was about a hurricane in South Louisiana, and uh, at that time in '57, they had a policeman at the door to check your ID before you could get in. But I knew at, at all theaters the theater. or just the one you went to. No, they said that folks. That was on the screen when it came on. But uh, I tell you, the uh, the video <laughs> was so bad, and it was in a hurricane the whole time that, uh, doggone, I couldn't see anything. I don't know where the poor white trash came in. But uh, 
I do remember that actor, and he was a, uh, I don't remember his name, but I'd seen him later. He always played a poor white trash type character. But uh, that was my first memory, and it, it did come out of Louisiana. And then, oh, gosh, my next one uh, was when I first left, and I was pipelining in 64. And uh, I was working down there, and they had to evacuate the pipeline, and I was evacuating everything. When Hurricane Hilda was the name of that one. It came in in 64, and that thing, it probably killed 100 people or so, but, uh, and it, it was a, I believe it was a category four also, and it, uh, probably, that means it had to have at least 135, 140 mile an hour winds. But we couldn't get out of there because they didn't have interstates then, and I had a couple of guys that was going to evacuate back to North Mississippi, and you could look over your shoulder back around towards Morgan City and Homer, Grand Island. The sky was as black as I've ever seen. I can still remember how black it looked looking back over from Chippewa, back down that way. So um, we finally, the guy with me had become attorney. He became the district attorney for DeSoto County, Mississippi later, and we were pipelining together down there. <laughs> and he finally he was so scared, he thought he was going to get blown away. He said, uh, man, the wind was starting to come down, and, it was blowing, and I had a 58 Impala convertible that I didn't want anything to happen to either. And he said, go ahead and bump and hit that, uh, just hit somebody and get in line. Because they was evacuating from all over South Louisiana, and they only had one highway. Highway 1 up by Lafouche, going from Thibodeau to Donaldsonville. And you didn't even have a river a bridge then. They didn't, you had to go all the way to Baton Rouge and cross. So um, anyway, we finally got out of there. But we fought rain and wind, and I thought it was going to blow my 58 Impala off the road. But uh, we got out of there, and we had to stay gone by the Off the road I, right into Bayou Lafouche. Bayou Lafouche. That had been a good one. I, I, I just about seen been down there is where I was because it was pretty badly. And we went back uh, in a week, and I have never seen such disaster in uh, – I tell you what really got me more than anything because our pipeline came through sugarcane fields and those sugarcane had been blown all the way down to the ground where they couldn't cut it with equipment. So they had brought in workers from the Dominion Republic to cut them with those cane knives. And I had an old boy that was working with me that I carried back down there. He'd been sentenced to 198 years in Parchment Penitentiary in Mississippi. And, uh, he started hollering at those Dominion Republicans. Now, why, why would somebody be sentenced to nearly 200 years in prison? Well, this character, uh, and he was a character because me and him had to, I usually had to get in a fight. He'd holler at me, he'd get in a fight in every, every bar in Louisiana, and they had a lot of bars down there back in those days. He, uh, he, he was a trustee. He was sentenced to 99 years. And uh, he was for, a trustee. For what, what reason was he sentenced to only nearly 100 years? Did he kill somebody? You know, I think it might have had something to do with a rape charge. But I think it was against his own wife, who they had just divorced. So he got sentenced to 99 years. I liked the old boy. And uh, anyway, he was was a lot of fun. But uh, we got down there, and he got to hollering at those people. Well, you got got 198 years out of the deal? (laughs) He was a trustee, and back it was a a working... uh, uh, prison back in those days and you had fields and cotton and stuff like that and he had a horse and they give him a shotgun to ride over the other that being a trustee and he just decided hey 
I'm just going to take off. So he took off on the horse and rode off the grounds of parchment. And they captured him later. And he got sentenced to another 99 years. That judge had it. I guess you could get about get away with anything back in the 50s, in the late 50s. Uh, the, the judges could. But anyway, he had 198 years. And uh, he, he, was a, he was a real character. Because when he brought to Holland to Dominion, people that were Dominion Republic people that were cutting that sugar cane with those cane knives and they were they looked like machetes really long they started hollering and running up through the field at us and luckily we had a pipeline H.C. Price was the name of the company we had a buddy and I was driving the truck and I jumped in and he had to dive over in the back because they got up there to us so that was it's not real hurricane talk but you know that's that's still it was still a pretty interesting part of that hurricane at Tilda, and uh, that was in '64. And then, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't talk about how how you know it developed, and you don't get into all that stuff about uh, barometric, uh, barometric pressure and air pressure and what how do they write that with uh, um, millibars? Yeah, how are millibars is in the thing. And all that kind of stuff. I had a little of that in the military uh, when we were computing fire for 155 Hollisters. Mm. But uh, uh, we had we had a met. We had two weeks of met. And you had to send up balloons and figure the atmosphere and see how much pressure was in the atmosphere. It's kind of like you know when the pressure drops in these doggone uh, hurricanes. Of what I understand, and we did study the hurricane thing. And the reason I brought it up. At Four Sill, Oklahoma, where I had that course, they called it FTC, and it was computing fire for Hollisters. But um, anyway, they uh, it, it showed us we'd get to reading on what the pressure was, and then we studied the uh, we studied some about the hurricanes, and I think uh, uh, twelve hundred or something like that is is normal reading for a uh, barometric pressure, but when it drops, like I think Camille was at 900. It's the one I, that I worst hurricane I've ever been involved with, but it was at about 900. So um, it it puts in, uh, uh, I guess it puts in more of a stronger um, the atmosphere as it changes up with that barometric pressure. And as it goes up, it gets stronger and stronger, and then it gets to swirling more as the heat goes up. I think it's. Uh, I heard the other day on the radio that the Gulf waters were 90 degrees. Now, I think 80 degrees at the at the equator. It's, these things come out of Africa, right? And uh, that's where they develop. But they develop. It's got to be about 80 degree water temperature in the ocean, and they come up. And then they. I think it's kind of a tropical wave that brings them on over here. But once they get in the Gulf, because our water has a tendency to be a lot warmer. But if that, if that thing the other day was was uh, 90 degrees, you know, that barometric uh, pressure must have been down to about, uh, yeah, probably 900 on the, on the millibar scale, I would think, wouldn't you? And uh, anyway, that would push, uh, that would push your surge up 20, 25 feet. And I think uh, Katrina got up to about 30 foot surge. So, I, you know, they bound to had a. They might have been in the eight hundred on their millibar, uh, reading. But anyway, 
enough of that. We don't need a history on that. But no, we don't. Um, but Jerry, evidently, I'm gonna have to go back and have a little refresher course on your movie viewing. Okay. Oh, yeah. on the white, poor white trash. Yeah, the the name of the movie. It? Yeah, the the name is actually Bayou with poor white trash. The subtitle. So you got oh, okay. half of it right now. Okay. Just so <laughs> I have the right movie, you said you That's had a hard it. time coming up with the name. I do believe one of the stars of this movie was the great Peter Graves. He must have been. He must have played a really good role. He had the role of Martin Davis. Okay, was it Louisiana, and it was a hurricane mentioned in it? Well, let me tell you the, the description of the movie. A New York oh. architect meets a Cajun beauty in a remote bayou village. Okay, that's the one I saw. And then the hurricane came in on them, and it was, uh, was it rated? They didn't rate them, you know, like. Uh, I, I don't know what they rated, but Jerry, just as a little special bonus, because we like you here at the Y'all Show. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I got a little clip here I'm going to play of this 1957 movie with Peter Graves and Timothy Carey and others. Enjoy this one here. Just a little sample of the 1957 movie, Bayou. This girl needs someone to lean on. Someone strong. Go away, Ulysses. You want to say I was wrong, what I do the other day, that I'm wrong. You want to say... It's all right, I see you with city fella. Isn't that right? Look, why don't you leave my okay, that's from way back in 1957, so I apologize for some of the audio <laughs> problems there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was just audio then, too, probably. Was it, wasn't it, really? very, it wasn't put together real good. Peter Graves, let's see, he played on Fury, I think, on TV. He had a series, white-headed guy. I remember Peter Graves well. But uh, the guy that played the poor white trash guy in there was a rough customer looking well, guy. Well, this description here, it says, Wimp Yankee art- architect Peter Graves and brutal Cajun Timothy Carey fight to the death okay. in this sweaty bayou melodrama. That's what happened. They did have a fight at the end, and uh, there was a hurricane going on, and that's why you couldn't hardly see because... The water was, I'm sure, blowing from one of these big fans on them and all, you know. And they were wallowing around in the mud. And uh, and I guess it must have been some language and a Cajun woman involved with Peter Graves. Well, so that, talking- that Cajun woman was probably played by Lita Milan. She played the role of Marie Hebert in this movie. I, I remember Marie. I do remember that. Even though as 57... And I would have been, uh, golly, 11, 12 years old. But um, uh, maybe it didn't make this uh, show where I was until I was 13 or 12 or something. But um, I, got, I did get in to see that movie. And uh, I'll never forget it. I wonder how you can get a hold of it. <laughs> I'm sure it can't be that hard to find. Now, the actress here we talked about who played the role of that Cajun beauty, Lita Milan was the actress's name. She went on from this movie, Bayou, to portray a character in, how about this one? I don't remember when this came on TV, the Schlitz Playhouse. Do you remember the Schlitz Playhouse on TV? Oh, gosh. I mean, I was playhousing myself. I said, even that. Uh, how about a know? TV series named after a beer in this case in 19? 19- oh, there was, I remember Schlitz advertising. Yeah, well, that, that's what this was. It was a TV series oh, put okay. on by Schlitz. And then she also had just a handful of other 
role. She was on a TV series called The Adventures of Hiram Holiday. She played the role of Marion in that TV series that was on until 59. And she stopped acting. I don't know if she died or what happened to her. I think she was a really good-looking, black-headed, dark-complexed lady, you know? Yeah. And uh, Cajun-looking lady. And, uh, and, you know, I guess something must have happened that uh, today wouldn't be anything. But I'll never forget they had that old cop from town that stood at the door. And Fred was his name, and... He uh he stood at the door, but I slipped around him, and and the owner knew it of the theater, hmm. and I went on. So you had to show stuff. ID to get into see a movie theater from with an actual uniform law enforcement person. Right. And I don't I think there was too much crime going on in your town if that was the case. Wasn't any crime going on, but uh, you know I think that came with that movie. Well, I tell you, back in those days. There was another movie uh, that was made, Baby Doll. You remember it? No, I wasn't around back in '57. I apologize. Well, I apologize. Baby Doll, Baby Doll had the guy that was in Streets of San Francisco played in that, and uh, a couple more. But it was filmed over in around Cleveland, Mississippi. But they wouldn't let it play in Mississippi. And I, Carolyn Baker played the girl in that, and it was really bad. I think it was kind of a incestual type situation, and but uh, I'm not real sure about that because I never got to see the movie. But I did see part of it years later. But we had a guy in Memphis. Every every movie that came south, he viewed them first and okayed them for this area. <laughs> That's true. I know it's true. Yeah. And he, you're talking about when it comes south. You're talking about the entire south. This one guy entire south. in Memphis, out would, of Memphis would decide whether people got to see movies. So, Jerry, again, I wasn't around back in the 50s. Please tell me this guy didn't prohibit the showing of Old Yeller in Mississippi. Uh, no, I don't. I think I, I saw Old Yeller. I think, I think it was here. And also uh, was the one at Ames Plantation up there next to, in Tennessee. What was the name of that? That show? Was it about a, that was about a dog. He let us see it also. Hmm. Thank but, you. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Censor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Surely he should have prohibited speaking of memphis he should have prohibited several of elvis's movies from being shown in the south and really throughout the whole world well my daddy did censor um um the movie jailhouse rock Hmm. i went to four movies with my daddy and we went to see uh uh from uh hell and back with audie murphy because daddy was in the army over in that area with him and so he took went to that one and then mama wanted to go see uh, uh jailhouse rock when elvis first came out which would have been about a 57, 58 situation. Yeah, it too. must have been a hot time to go to the movies back in the 50s. So we went to the Rebel Drive-In in Oxford. Hmm. And uh, when they got to the scene that Elvis choreographed himself, whether it's uh, Jailhouse Rock and they come down the, from the sale block and all that stuff and come down a pole and dancing, Daddy cranked the car up and we left. <laughs> That's said, a good dad watching, right there. I'm not watching this stuff. <laughs> And my mama said, come on, please, Frank, stay and let's watch this. Let's, I want to see Elvis in this. No, I'm not watching this trash. <laughs> and we, and we so you had your own sensor right there in the car, not, own, not, not in Memphis. I had my own sensor. How about but anyway, that? back to these doggone uh, uh, hurricanes that really are bad and terrible and, and all that. Uh, that also ended my abbreviated college uh, career. At Ole Miss, the next one that come through, 
called uh, Camille. Hmm. And uh, I was uh, in, well, I was actually engaged to a girl in South Louisiana. And we're on the phone, and I just got a car from Elvis Presley, and I didn't want to ruin it. So I, I left it up here, and I hitchhiked through Bessie. I meant Bessie a while ago instead of uh, 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 Camille. It was Bessie, the hurricane yeah. that I hitchhiked into. But that song was going. I hitchhiked all the way, and I got to New Orleans, and it already knocked out all the electricity. I walked across New, or- New Orleans. I walked across the Huey Long Allen Bridge and got on the other side and hitchhiked on into Napoleonville. But uh, anyway, that was a that was a bad one, and we didn't have electricity there for probably two months. Couldn't get ice or anything like that, and they bring ice down from Baton Rouge down to deep south Louisiana, and uh, they bring dry ice for you. But the ice truck was way on up at Plaquemine, which wasn't too far out of Baton Rouge. And we finally wised up and realized that we had to go hijack the ice truck about 60 miles north of where we were if we were going to have any ice. So we'd go up there and we'd get some dry ice before they got good out of Baton Rouge. <laughs> and and uh, But the, everything was torn up down there then, and you had and it was pretty tough. We, you, water wasn't good, and, and you had to boil water. And, and I lived, we lived like that for probably close to a month with boiling water and stuff like that. And so it, they can really be devastating, you know, to people. But you asked the question to begin our conversation, I think. You asked the question that I think those people were resilient enough to continue to hold on through stuff like this, as continuous as it is. But, you know, it's really not as often as you really think it is. You know, I know you got Marquis. You know, some is uh, like Audrey, the one I mentioned. That name was retired. Yeah. And then uh, Camille was retired, the one that uh, hit the one I was going to talk about next. They didn't retire Betsy's name. And they retired uh, uh, Katrina. I think they may be the only three hurricanes that have been retired their names. Now they use male names, obviously. You know that. I don't, think, I don't think Ida is a, a male name. No, but they do. PC-wise, they put it in the alphabet I when see. they name the uh, hurricanes before hurricane season. If you notice, Bob went up to New York just the other day. And uh, that's the first time. You know, I just it don't sound right. Or <laughs> I don't know why men would want their name in there anyway. You know, <laughs> when you think about Camille and you think about Katrina's, and you think about Aldridge and Betsy's and Hilda's, everyone I've mentioned to you has been a, been a female one, you know. And then Frederica, I was with in that one, too, with International Paper. It hit the Mississippi Mobile uh, area, hit the Alabama-Mississippi line. Or uh, we had timber all pushed down, and we were sitting there in Mobile waiting on it to hit. Because so I had to go in there and, and audit how much damage we lost uh, up, up Mobile Bay with the or the uh, Alabama River. Mm. And the time big we run in. So I stayed back up in there about a month. Yeah. All down Jer- trees. Jerry, we certainly don't want to underestimate the damage of Ida. We want to also take one more time to tell all of our listeners how much our thoughts are to those who are affected by this latest storm to come across the Gulf South and how you also can go help out by visiting the Salvation Army or the American Red Cross. And let's try to do our best to help those affected by this latest disaster 
to hit Louisiana and other states like Mississippi here this week. We're not done with the Takapola Storyteller. When we come back on Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern, Jerry Short and I will continue the fun. In fact, we got something that I think everybody will be able to relate to. I'm going to tell you about my frustrations and my enlightenment with the United States Postal Service. Oh, whoo, what could that be about? Well, I'll tell you. You're just <laughs> dying to hear me talk about it, and it's up next. to talk with an accent on everything southern and that song there return to sender and uh, let me get the liner note um can't remember who sang that song here let me uh, see uh, what's this fellow's name elvi presley okay we're back on talk with a accent on the south we got jerry short our takapola storyteller on here for one last fun segment and jerry we talked to him about so many crazy, crazy things out there. But, Jerry, this is a subject I don't think you know a whole lot about because you've got minions that help take care of you. But for those like me who have to fight hard in life and have to do so much stuff for our own selves, you may not know the agony that some of us have to go through when we go stand in line at a place called the United States Post Office. Do you know that feeling? Uh, I definitely know the feeling. That's the reason I kind of try to avoid them as much as possible, <laughs> you know, because especially with this COVID mess, you know, it's been going on. They'll put you three to six feet back and you got to have a mask and you can't talk to the guy and they'll have one person. Or gal, or gal, let's be or gal. Yeah. And they'll have one, uh, they'll have one or two people max at the counter usually. And they may have 30 people waiting to be served so yeah yeah i know where you're coming from well my post office discussion today i'm going to bring back something that i talked about briefly last week after you were on the show it was one day middle of the week last week jerry i got something in the mail the other day it was from president trump and it talked about all the covid19 guidelines and i just got it about a week ago in the mail and when i saw it i thought it was complete junk mail because it talked about all the things to try to help get you through coronavirus. And it had all these safety protocols and it was marked or printed, not necessarily stamped, but it was supposedly printed in like March of 2020. I just got it in the mail the other day and it was not from president Biden from a guy named president Donald Trump. How in the world could I have received this thing in the mail? And if I got it, I bet a lot of people got this little card. It was essentially like a postcard that came in the mail. But I told people on the show last week, 
maybe this is the reason Trump lost the election. If people would yeah. have been reminded of their COVID-19 guidelines, that could have helped them vote for President Trump. Yeah, surely they were sent out in January of 2020. But uh, it did they have a to sender that Elvis <laughs> I don't think so. But that was really strange. I'm, I've still got that card. I'm going to take it to the post office because yeah. I want to find you out. Need to I want to find out how in the world I just got that delivered this last couple of days. How That's over a year old, and I just got that in the mail. So that was one weird post office thing. Today, I go into my local post office, and I have to ship some stuff out via priority mail. And they don't even offer you a chance to get, whether they give it to you and or you try to buy it, the priority mail tape, the, the tape that you can use to ship priority mail. There yeah. is no choice for you to buy it. Now, they have it there at the post office, but I, I like to wrap up my packages with the tape that says priority mail. And I'm even right. willing to pay a dollar or two for it if I had to, but they don't even give you the chance to do that. And I talked about that with my local lady at the post office counter, and she said that just doesn't make sense. But, Jerry, while I was there at the postal store that UPS.com has, mm-hmm. where you can go on there and get supplies, as she told me, and I already knew this, that a lot of the common things that people like me and you need to ship stuff, I mean, not oh. not the most obscure, some of the more common things, you've got to go online and order this stuff. It's not sitting there at your local post office. Right. Well, there's more proof right there that, uh, hey, you let the government get involved, it's probably going to be a failure. And, and I, I have mean, to order it. It doesn't cost me anything to order, so they have to well, ship it, and that takes... What, Time. Go ahead. That takes time well, and money. What do they do? Just put a stamp on it that says priority mail? It, they, they offer items that are marked priority mail. So I yeah, pay when true. I go to the counter and pay for it but to be you gotta, mailed. you got to pay for that. i got to yeah. pay for it, but the stuff comes. Or I don't have to pay for the box. So I use mm. a lot of their priority mail boxes from time to yeah. time, and oh, they, don't, they don't even have the tape available to even purchase. I'm willing to, to purchase it if I need to, and, and it's just not there. But, Jerry... In my search of what's at the postal store, I found the perfect gift for you, perhaps. Oh, my Elvis stamps. No, they have those. I guess they still have those. You think think they're ever going to outlaw Elvis at the postal service? Well, if if you don't quit singing Dixie, they might. (laughs) At the postal store, I don't think you can go into your local post office and get one of these boxes, but it's absolutely free of charge, Jerry, to get the empty boxes shipped to you. Would you like me to ship you the official United States Postal Service cremated remains human kit? Ooh, They've got a box, and it even comes with tape in this case, and a little plastic envelope for you to pack up your remains and ship off somewhere. And I found out today that all human remains shipped via the post office are, pro- are they're not priority, they're overnight. They're overnight They're shelves. overnight shipped remains of a cremated body. That's correct. And I'm, I assume that it's in a waterproof uh, container? No, it's a, it's a cardboard box, but they do offer like a plastic thing to go to around go in- the urn yeah. or whatever, but but it's pretty common. I talk to the post office that I go to. They say usually about once every couple of weeks they'll get, usually the funeral home stands in line, and they have it already boxed up, and they, they ship it off overnight. But the guy working behind the counter said, 
Yeah, did we ever get rid of those that were back here? Evidently, they had about two of them sit back there for a couple of days that had a problem with the address. But I also was told that they've had ep- episodes, not necessarily at my post office, but somewhere in the postal office, uh, the post office domain, where these boxes have split open and remains have been spewed out. Not a we're good, not a good US sign. Post, we're talking U.S. Postal Service, right? That's correct, and they offer boxes that are already marked on the boxes, cremated remains, and they. This is common. I mean, people who get cremated—that's a pretty common thing now. And uh, you know, you can ship your remains off to maybe a family member in another state overnight, and it's already courtesy of the post office's boxes that are marked that way. I'm just trying so to tell you, you something, Jerry. No, you might not be aware of. No, no, I wasn't aware of that, and I'm. So I'm, I'm thinking then that the delivery postman, he's got the box. It says remains. It says of cremated. Pre- it says cremated remains. I think they offer them also for animals. I think probably do. Now that makes sense. But, but that they would do that. But they but have them for human human, being, human remains. You can ship, ship mean, through the post office. Somebody's really being pretty cheap uh, to send their aunt through the U.S. post office. It happens all the time. There are a lot of people who don't have families. Well, I know, and I just didn't donate your body to science, but, uh, you know, you don't always know. I mean, is it, is it in a, is it in a urn or what is it? That's not up to the post office. How you, how Ship you it back them they up, don't they just get, they're giving you the box and some tape, but I'm and just so telling you people. Don't, it don't have to be in an urn. It could just be in a, uh, in a, in a plastic bag. That's correct. Goodness gracious. And you can ship it for the inform me. for the mm-hmm. for the cost of an overnight delivery. You can't go you can't go media mail on human remains delivery. You got to pay a little bit extra, Jerry. Oh, a little extra for that uh, box, I saying. <laughs> and uh, not not for the human. You know that's that can be really that's really confusing, but at the same time, it's really gross. And uh, I don't use you, you use call it gross, gross, Jerry. But I mean, this is a, they wouldn't be doing it if there weren't a need for it. No, I know a lot of people are donating their bodies to science now because it's cheaper. Average funeral is what ten thousand dollars, and uh, cremation is what two to three thousand. I think if I, you get a good, I don't know. I haven't looked into it these days. But, urine, but it's one it's thing good. to be cremated; it's another thing for your remains to be in this spot, and it needs to go to somewhere halfway across the country do you want to sit there in a car and drive human remains or do you want to ship it overnight no i'd uh well i have taken a body with a hearse from atlanta to here and uh i rode with a guy that went to pick a body up one time and that's not a good feeling by the way (laughs) you know i kept looking over my shoulder to make make sure that that nobody was moving back i hope that was a good friend of yours because i wouldn't have done that well, I, he, he got paid by the funeral home, and he asked me that I want to go with him to help pick the body up. And naturally, I stuck my nose in there and said, yeah, let's go. I, I was probably about 16 or 17. Mm. But uh, I kept looking over the shoulder <laughs> to make sure. I can't say that I blame you. Everybody, it's our Takapola storyteller. His name is Jerry Short. Thank you for coming on and uh, talking about poor white trash and more. Man, I'm glad to hear you got that poor white trash movie ready for him. Try to tape it. I want to so, watch. So it. now, when somebody yells that out toward me, poor white Over trash, the years, Mercedes. Be- when they, I better say bow. When they when they say poor white trash to me, 
instead of taking it personal, they just might be referencing that 1957 movie. Yeah. So unless they say buy you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. His name Jerry Short. Thank you, Jerry. We'll talk to you next week. You're welcome. See you, John. All right. And again, our thoughts to everybody affected by Hurricane Ida here this week. When the Y'all Show comes back, Melissa Rhodes is coming up. She's got a southern accent on delicious food of the South. That's up next as we close out Hour 2. Southern accent. Here's what's cooking in the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. Food lovers on social media need to give Babbletop a follow as they put a humorous spin on dining across the globe. And Babbletop's just taken a deep fried Dixie dive with a fun new video release. 15 Southern foods you need to try before you die. And among the 15 is chicken fried steak, sometimes called country fried steak. The meat is usually a tenderized cube steak, and it's dipped in a milk or egg wash, covered in seasoned flour, and fried in a skillet. It's served drowning in a creamy gravy, which is traditionally made with pan drippings. This dish is commonly believed to have originated in Texas as the product of German and Austrian immigrants who adapted the dish from a wiener schnitzel, which is similarly cooked but uses veal and breadcrumbs. While you can make this yourself, why not head down to Lulu's Cafe in San Antonio, where they serve a 21-ounce version of the steak. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. And thank you, Melissa, for that awesome awesome southern food spotlight courtesy of y'all.com who knew country fried steak a stepbrother if you will of good old schnitzel from the old country y'all talk with accent on everything southern even a little german accent from time to time here on talk with a with a deep south accent when we come back hour number three our final hour together We will have more on the LSU Tigers, the traditions, the famous alumni, and more about Louisiana State University. Plus, we have tips for using a generator safely while you're in a hurricane. That plus a preview of the Y'all Show Week is coming up next. Al Feeder's in. We're back on Talk with an Accent on Everything Southern. I'm John Rawl, and good to have you back here. Our number across the Southland today, and we want to hear from you. You need to grade our report here. How are we doing? How are we doing, y'all? 803-816-1170, that is the text line. You can also drop an email if you'd rather go that route. That is M-A-I-L, that's called mail, mail at y'all.com. The simple, easy way to get in touch with us here on Talk with an accent on good old Dixie. Here in this final hour, as we broadcast from the wonderful Dixie Cafe, we're cooking up some great stuff here at the Dixie Cafe. And here in this final hour of this Monday Y'all Show, we're cooking up more sports news from across the Southeast. Plus, we'll tell you about the LSU Tigers here in our final hour. We're going to tell you about some of the famous alumni. We're going to surprise you, perhaps, with a few famous Tigers that have attended Louisiana State University 
and A&M College, I think, is also part of that name. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the academic side. Did you realize LSU actually has an academic side? We'll tell you about it coming up here in just a few minutes. That was a low blow, I know. I'm sorry. But it was kind of funny, especially, yeah, I went to one of their rival schools, so I, I have a right to kind of poke fun. Maybe you could even say I went to their arch rival school. But, no, I have great admiration for LSU and what a what a cool place. So we'll tell you about LSU here, hour number three. Also, speaking of the great state of Louisiana, boy, they've been hit hard in the last 24 hours with Hurricane Ida. And we have an article up, Tips for Using a Generator Safely While Going Through a Hurricane. And I'm going to share with that information with you. Plus, before the hour is in the books, we'll preview the y'all show going forward for the rest of the week. We've got some fantastic stuff coming up and we don't want you to miss out on it. So that is part of our great planning for the rest of the week that we'll discuss with you before we get out of here on today's y'all show. Again, our show powered in part by the official homepage of the South. And that is y'all.com. Go to y'all for the latest on so much of the South. And we've got more coming, so please, if you have the opportunity, do check that out. We start off this hour with a little sports update coming from across the Southland. And speaking of Hurricane Ida, speaking of New Orleans and the Pelican State, the Saints, according to their head coach, Sean Payton, he says he does not expect his NFL team to return to the Big Easy this week as the New Orleans Saints have relocated to Dallas where they're expected to practice for the remainder of this week right there at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, Texas. As Coach Payton, with a statement that he's put out, saying that he intends to keep his team together and do the best they can from a situation that was out of their control. And he says he can see guys taking some time away. Remember, this is a week in the NFL calendar where they've already wrapped up their final preseason game. In the case of the Saints, they were supposed to play a game Sunday. It got canceled. So they only played two preseason games, but they still have the clock ticking. On Wednesday, teams have to cut their roster to 53. But the NFL season does not begin until next week. So there's no games in the NFL preseason or regular season until Thursday of next week, that would be Thursday when the Buccaneers host the Dallas Cowboys, Thursday, September 9th from Raymond James Stadium as the season opener. The Saints, by the way, begin their season, and I think they have – they, do they play the Eagles or Texans? I, I saw it just the other hour of who their first opponent is. But anyway, they got a – a game scheduled currently for home at Caesars Superdome. But this is a week where most of the teams are not necessarily practicing every single day because they're giving these players a little bit of a breather since they don't have a game coming up this weekend, preseason, nor do they have a regular season game. And, indeed, they are practicing at the Cowboys AT&T Stadium and not sure if they're going to stay in the Dallas area next week. Also, right now, if you've kept up with the news, New Orleans has had a tremendous amount of power outages. 
and officials in New Orleans are saying do not return to the city at this point. At least stay tuned to when you should come back, according to authorities there. So, again, the Saints now in Dallas. The LSU Tigers relocated to Houston. They're practicing there. LSU does have a game this week. They open their season at the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. They take on the UCLA Bruins to start the 2021 season. Another update on Hurricane Ida and its effect on college athletics. We know now that the Tulane Green Wave, who were supposed to play the Oklahoma Sooners at Yulman Stadium on Tulane's campus this weekend, that game, it looks like being moved to Norman. And the number two team in the country will not be headed to New Orleans this weekend. I know a lot of Sooners fans were going to take over Bourbon Street and have a great time in the Big Easy on September 4th, the day this game scheduled, and Labor Day weekend. Unfortunately, those plans need to be changed. Tulane's football team has relocated to Birmingham, and they're practicing there, I assume, at UAB, possibly at Sanford University. I don't know where they're practicing, but uh, wish them well, Tulane, as they go through another hard hit with their campus and the rest of the New Orleans area here this week. The athletic director of Tulane is Troy Dannon, and he has just put out a text today saying, I can confirm no decision on the football game this week has been finalized. So the possibility of Tulane and Oklahoma even playing could be still up in the air. But if you were a betting person, I'd go ahead and put money. This might be played in Norman. But they could play it somewhere in Louisiana still. I want to see this game played ultimately at Yulman Stadium. I'm a big fan of what Tulane has done with their on-campus stadium and having this power opponent come in for a game is pretty special. Pretty special. Now, if they could just get that Bayou Bengal bunch to come play them there in the near future, these old rivals of 100 years ago, it would be good to see Tulane and LSU back together on the gridiron. In fact, the last time I think they did play was because of Hurricane Katrina. They played a game at the Superdome, and it was pretty cool. LSU had really neat a special uniform, I think, and Tulane might have too. And it was pretty neat to see these two teams. And I'd like to see them play again. I love our in-state rivalries that we have going on across the southeast. Here's some college football news to tell you. Bryce Young officially named the Crimson Tide's starting quarterback when the Tide suit up Saturday afternoon in Atlanta and they take on the Miami Hurricanes in a top-20 battle. The Canes fly up from Miami, ranked number 14. And Bryce Young, the sophomore and a former five-star QB prospect who spent last season backing up Mac Jones, is going to be given the reins. Remember, in the offseason, Bryce Young got a million-dollar name-image-likeness deal. He's never really taken a snap as a starting quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He did appear, though, to his credit, in nine games in the 2020 National Championship season. And last year, he completed 13 of 22 passes for 156 yards and a touchdown. And now this very talented Alabama signal caller, Bryce Young, Nick Saban's going with him. Not too surprising, but he's choosing him to be the Crimson Tide's answer to Mac Jones in 2021. The Texas Longhorns have also, speaking of Alabama, former Alabama offensive coordinator now turned 
Texas Longhorn head coach Sarkeesian Sark has now announced that redshirt freshman QB Hudson Card, he's a real card, Hudson is going to start as the Horns quarterback on the game that's scheduled Saturday evening on the 40 acres as Texas and Louisiana Lafayette get together this weekend. Sark added that he will reevaluate the QB competition for Texas's permanent starting job after this week one game. But let me tell you, Texas fans, just when you want to take a breather, just when you think, oh, we can take it easy now because it's not going to really get hard for us until we join the SEC in a few years. So we got all these so-called cupcakes showing up on our schedule. And then we have our even bigger cupcakes when we play some of these Big 12 teams like the Kansases of the world, like the, hmm, the way they've been playing, maybe even like the TCUs of the world. That'll get fixed, I'm sure, this year in Fort Worth. Let me tell you, Horns fans, you don't have a cupcake opponent coming in here this weekend. Louisiana Lafayette are paddling their Piros to DKR, ranked as the number 23 team in the country. This is a program that was a co-champion of the Sun Belt Conference in 2020. Billy Napier essentially turned down opportunities at Power 5 schools to stay on the bayou and be the Raging Cajuns coach. This Louisiana Lafayette team has shocked the world in the last year by beating a Big 12 team because they went in and defeated Iowa State early in the 2020 season. That same Saturday that Arkansas State beat Kansas State and Coastal Carolina beat Kansas. Sun Belt Day, it was called, or I'm calling it that. So this year, Louisiana Lafayette is going to be the opponent for Texas, ranked number 23 in the country. According to Sarkeesian Casey Thompson, The backup QB is also slated to play in this game against the Raging Cajuns Saturday in Austin. So Texas, again, going with the Austin native. They're choosing Hudson Card, a 6'2", 200-pound QB out of Lake Travis High School, who was the number 40 prospect in the 2020 ESPN 300. And he's been given the green light, at least for this game, but... It looks like Sarkeesian is not completely ready to put it in concrete who his quarterback is. A one-game audition, if you will, for Hudson Card. That is a look at some sports going on across the South here on Y'all Talk with an accent on the Southern people, the Southern folks, the the Southern (laughs) y'all. When we come back, we'll keep college football on the front burner LSU is our spotlight school. We're on a 44-city tour. Just four more schools left after today. But today it's all Bayou Bengals, and we'll tell you about famous alumni, traditions, and what Louisiana State University is all about. Go Tigers! That's coming up next.
The Y'all Show is on the road and stopping by 44 of the South's great college football towns as we get y'all ready for the start of the 2021 college football season. Tailgates, traditions, fight songs. Can you feel the excitement? Here's Y'all Show host John Rawl to fire y'all up with today's great Southern College Football Showcase. Well, Bubba, if you ain't fired up for college football, you better get fired up. You only got uh, less than 48 hours before the start of this week's games, and you only have about three or four days until it really gets cooking Thursday. We got big games Friday, and Saturday is chock full of college football excitement. And here on the Y'all Show, we're telling you today all about a team that knows how to put excitement into college football. It's those LSU Tigers, and they're on the road Saturday taking on UCLA at the Rose Bowl. That's where Ed Orgeron's team is going to get things going. As LSU people would say, going to get things cooking. And they're going to do that Saturday. Here on the Y'all Show in this hour, we're going to tell you about Louisiana State University, the academic side of it. We'll tell you about some of the great LSU alumni and the great, and I mean awesome, traditions of LSU. Go Tigers! All right, thank you for that. You know, I'd like to hear some more LSU songs, if you don't mind. Under the direction of the former LSU football player Ed Orgeron, La Rosa's on, Bayou Lafouche's on, Ed Orgeron, the Tigers, your 2019 national champion college football program, LSU, your 1958 national champion, LSU, your 2003 and 2007 national champion football program which has garnered two Heisman Trophy winners in its history the great Billy Cannon and the great Joe Burrow here on y'all in this final hour today let me tell you about the university of which these great athletes have been represented by it's Louisiana State University an agricultural and mechanical college. Put that one on a billboard, y'all. A public flagship land-grant research university which was launched in 1860. And technically, it launched in Pineville, which is in central Louisiana. It established as the Seminary of Learning of the State of Louisiana and was modeled after LSU. I need to talk to y'all. They modeled it after Virginia Military Institute. Now, why couldn't you model it after the Military College of South Carolina? Daggummit! Yes, that, of course, known as the Citadel. But LSU used VMI as its template, and it got started with a guy named William Tecumseh Sherman as its superintendent. (laughs) And the original location of the old LSU site is right now listed on the National Register of Historic Places. One of the nicknames LSU has 
is the Old War School, and you spell that school S-K-U-L-E. And that goes back, it's kind of a throwback to LSU starting out as a military school. And LSU ended up having to close in 1861 with the Civil War, closed June of 1861. During the war, the university reopened briefly, but was closed again with the invasion of the Red River Valley by Yankees. Them darn Yankees had to come back to Baton Rouge or to Louisiana, and they had to shut it down. But the Civil War had a big impact on LSU. So much so, if you don't believe me, all you got to do is look at the nickname, the Fighting Tigers. More on that in a second. LSU as a university currently boasts nearly 35,000 students. They got 28 undergrad and nearly 7,000 postgraduate students on the Baton Rouge campus, right on the banks of the Mississippi in the state capital. And it's a gigantic building, our, our campus, it's a gigantic presence. This is a Sea Grant Space Grant University in LSU, part of the LSU system, is Louisiana State University, under the direction currently of its president, William Tate IV. He was selected president of LSU in May of this year. And he is the first black person to ever hold position of president of LSU. A guy who got his undergrad, I think, at Northern Illinois. He's not an LSU alumnus. But he is leading the old war school currently. Now, let's talk about some famous LSU alums. We will go to Fan Buzz and get their breakdown. And then we'll go to LSU for their own breakdown of what they call the notable alumni of Louisiana State University. Oh, Louisiana State University and Agricultural and Mechanical College. Okay, notable alums, according to fanbuzz.com, they kind of break it down with a ranking. If you go on there and look, let's start. LSU's had so many. They have had so many great ones. But we'll start with the top 15 famous LSU. Better than Ezra. Did you realize this group known for the songs Deluxe and Good got started on the LSU campus back in the late 80s? They even released an EP titled Death Valley in honor of the Tigers. Better than Ezra, LSU famous alumni. How about Bill Conti? Bill Conti is an Oscar-winning, Academy Award-winning composer. And he worked on the movie Rocky. And he is an LSU alumnus. Did you realize Hubert Humphrey is an LSU alumnus, the 38th Vice President of the United States, who served alongside Lyndon B. Johnson, has a degree from LSU. He got a master's and a doctorate from LSU. Did not know that. How about... Cassandra Chandler, the FBI's Assistant Director of Public Affairs. She went through the Manship School at LSU. She became one of the highest-ranking black women in the FBI after receiving her bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism back in 1979. Congratulations. Here's another lady who is an LSU alum, Lolo Jones. She was a huge, huge star several years ago. 
She's won 11 All-American honors and three national championships as a member of the LSU track team, which if you know anything about college track, LSU is one of the best programs, if not the best, college track team going. Track and field star Lolo Jones is a proud tiger. Andrew Whitworth. Andrew Whitworth, who was a member of the LSU football team back during the Nick Saban era, he went on to have a 14-year career in the NFL with the Bengals and Rams and got four Pro Bowl selections and two first-team All-Pro selections. Big guy right there on the line, left tackle Andrew Whitworth, who also won state championships in the state of Louisiana. He's a famous alumnus. How about Sylvia Foles, star of the WNBA, a six-time All-Star, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, and a two-time NBA, rather WNBA champion, and was the 2017 WNBA MVP, a member of the LSU Athletics Hall of Fame. Her number 34 retired by the LSU Women's Basketball Program. Sylvia Foles, how about another great LSU alumni, NAE, Terry Gabreski. Terry Gabreski, or should I say Lieutenant General Terry Gabreski, the highest-ranking woman in the United States Air Force is General Gabreski, and the one of the only women And there's only, okay, I'm trying to read this. Only one other woman outranks her in the entire United States military. That woman is a four-star general that recently got her fourth star, I think. General Gabreski, a 1973 graduate of LSU. How about this lady? Classy, classy lady, once married to a great, great actor in Paul Newman. I think her hometown was Augusta, Georgia, I think. But she went to LSU. Joanne Woodward. She won an Oscar and was married to Paul Newman for many, many, many years. She had a role in The Three Faces of Eve and was married to Newman for 50 years. She majored in drama at LSU and was a member of the Chi Omega sorority. Uh, Tiger Bell, for sure. Joanne Woodward. Alex Bregman, great baseball player for the LSU Tigers and one of the best baseball players in Major League Baseball. He's made two all-star teams and helped the Houston Astros win the World Series, although they might have cheated. The second overall pick in the 2015 MLB draft started all 196 games of his LSU baseball career for Paul Maneri when he was the coach. LSU has had a regime change in the offseason on their baseball side. Another tradition of LSU is their baseball program. First started, I would say, going back in the 1980s and 90s under Skip, the athletic director, ultimately, for LSU. Skip Berkman, I think that's his name. Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete. A guy who grew up part of his life in Clemson, South Carolina, Pete Maravich, one of the greatest LSU alums ever. Of course, Pistol Pete with his 3,667 points and an average of 44.2 points per game in NCAA history. That was his average, by far the most in college basketball history, his point per game average. 44 points a game. 
this guy LSU might want to try to erase, but he's pretty pretty well known. You could call it infamous. David Duke is an LSU alumnus. Known around LSU as the Nazi of LSU. He is one of the most unpopular people to ever attend LSU. According to one website, Duke founded the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan after graduation and is the Grand Wizard of the KKK. I don't think he is now, though. He tried to clean his act up over the last 30 years, if you can, if, if that's p- possible. David Duke, who almost was elected senator for the state of Louisiana not all that long ago. How about another athlete, Odell Beckham Jr., according to all this according to fanbuzz.com. Odell Beckham Jr., a first-team All-American for LSU back in 2013, the 12th pick in the 2014 NFL Draft. Odell Beckham Jr., who played for the Giants for a number of years. I think he's with the Browns now, I think. Some of these players move around very, very often. Okay, if I didn't scare you enough talking about David Duke as an LSU alum, if you're a conservative, you're also rather scared by this guy, James Carville who shows off his purple and gold every chance he gets. He attended LSU after high school, received his bachelor's degree. Ooh, man, he really studied hard. Got his bachelor's degree in general studies back in 1970. I didn't even know they had that kind of degree 50 years ago. But he did go on and get his law degree, so that's good. James Carville was Bill Clinton's campaign strategist. And also served that role with Al Gore. That one didn't work out too well. A political commentator still on TV, James Carville, an LSU alum. And, no surprise, the most famous LSU alum. And this guy, to his credit, went back and got his degree after going off to the NBA for many years. Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal, LSU's most famous alum, according to FanBuzz.com. He entered the LSU Athletic Hall of Fame in 2000, and his number 33 has been retired by the school. The many-time NBA champion and the many, many, many-time star of television commercials from the general to Papa John's and more, Shaquille O'Neal is an LSU graduate. All right, let me see, according to LSU.edu, who they might have on here that might be worth a mention as a famous. Oh, by the way, Shaquille's middle name, do you all know what it is? Rashawn. Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal. His Bachelor's of General Studies came in 2000. He should have graduated around 94, and he went back after his NBA career was going, and bit by bit, did some coursework and graduated in 2000. In fact, I think he's got a, I think he went on and got a master's degree. I think Shaquille O'Neal, not, not bad. There is a whole site. If you go to lsu.edu, they have a whole site devoted to their famous alumni. So I better skip on past that because there's so much to say. And I got to do that because there's so much to say about LSU's great traditions they got a whole Wikipedia page devoted to LSU traditions. Check it out if you get a chance. Okay, so since they got so many, I better tell you what some of the best ones are. First of all, the very name, and I hinted at this earlier, 
LSU, the Fighting Tigers. This comes from the war between the states because there were what were called Zouav units and Confederate units dressed in the Zouav attire. And there was a group from Louisiana called the Fighting Tigers. And the Zouav units, they looked like Arabian soldiers. The style that they wore into combat really stood out. And that's where the name Fighting Tigers of Louisiana comes from. And that's where LSU got its name, adopting the name Tigers on campus during the 1896 football season. So as much as LSU might want to try to run from their Confederate heritage, that's where it comes from. Even though they try to say it came from the Mexican-American War too, uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's talk about Mike the Tiger, the real live Tiger on the LSU campus that is truly a superhero. According to folklore, LSU will score a touchdown for every one of Mike's roars on game day. (laughs) I didn't know that one. Mike the Tiger is the official mascot of LSU and serves as the graphic image of LSU athletics. They truly created a logo based on this Tiger's face. And they have had LSU is at a real live Tiger going all the way back to the Huey P. Long administration of the 1930s. He's got his own habitat, a $3 million habitat that was created back in 2005. The Tiger Athletic Foundation raised the money for it. And it is right there between Tiger Stadium and the PMAC, the Pete Maravich Assembly Center on the LSU campus. One of the great things about LSU is the school colors, royal purple and old gold. And this color association for LSU goes back to a game against Tulane in the 1890s. The LSU baseball team was going to go play Tulane. I don't know if they were the green wave in the 1890s or not. But according to legend, according to the story, they got their school colors purple and gold from Mardi Gras colors. Of course, Mardi Gras is purple, gold, and green. But that's where the purple and gold, which was available... They took that over, and they used that going forward. One of the other wonderful traditions at LSU is the great marching band, the Golden Band from Tigerland. It is, I think, the largest college marching band going. 325 members make up this band. And the reason it's so big, again, it goes back to the former governor and a huge LSU booster, Huey P. Long. He wanted that band to be the biggest going. And I think, it got his, I think he got his wish before he got assassinated. Pre-game at LSU is a special, special sight. Playing in Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night is a special, special tradition. You have, before you even go in the stadium, the tradition of tailgating at LSU, the tremendous food, the jambalaya, the crawfish, the, the true Louisiana taste on display in the parking lots throughout Baton Rouge. It is a sight completely unique in college football, an LSU home game. The LSU fans, and I've been around a lot. I've been a, I've been to see LSU, but I've not seen a game at Tiger Stadium. That's on my bucket list. If y'all can get me in to see Coach O and the Tigers, let me know. 
In fact, I'll take two tickets. <laughs> but I do know one of the traditions, if you go there as a visiting fan, you better wear a helmet because they like to throw things at you. Sorry, just saying. But the tradition once in, in the stadium, the countdown to the kickoff, Mike the Tiger comes out there, does his thing. The goalpost, even that is a unique tradition at LSU. They still have the really old school two, two post in the ground goalposts that allow you to come out of the locker room and look straight ahead and not be obstructed by a field goal post. And that's pretty unique in college football. The fans and their love of LSU, I'll tell you as a guy who went to one of their rival schools that uh, LSU fans are known for, in a not-so-flattering way, for wearing wind suits. They like to wear those kind of athletic suits to games. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> of course, they're laughing at other schools like uh, their Magnolia Bowl opponent for dressing up and wearing, like, coats and ties to games. They think that's probably pretty silly. But LSU also, the opposing fans often call LSU fans corn dogs, and that's probably not a happy thing if you're a Tiger fan. But it's part of the fun of college football, is it not? How about Go Tigers? That's a common cheer at LSU, spelled G-E-A-U-X. That kind of ties into the Cajun heritage of Louisiana. And that, again, is spelled G-E-A-U-X, but pronounced Go Tigers which is derived from the common ending in French Cajun names E-A-U-X. Ah. And then one of the great traditions, again, as I told you, I went to a rival school of LSU, and one of the traditions at LSU is to yell out, Go to hell, Ole Miss! That is a tradition, and usually it's turned around and said, Back to them, go to hell, LSU. The tradition goes all the way back to the 1950s. And usually you say, go to hell, LSU, go to hell. That's usually what they say. But, yeah, what a tremendous school, what a tremendous tradition. And we're talking football primarily today, but LSU with the history in basketball of Shaquille O'Neal, Pete Maravich, two of the giants of basketball going to that school. They've had success in the Final Four, even in – Recent history, they've won an SEC title in the last couple of years in basketball. Then you go to baseball. Is there another dynasty in baseball bigger than LSU in the last 30 years? All the teams that Skip Burtman had, Paul Maneri was able to win one. Now they haven't gotten back to Omaha in a while. That's going to change, I'm sure. But what a fantastic, fantastic Southeastern Conference member I forgot LSU and their tradition of wearing white jerseys at home is pretty unusual. So much so. Again, go to Wikipedia if you want to. They've got a pretty good breakdown of all of the various traditions at LSU if you want to learn more about the old war school. And here today on Y'all, we've been able to tell you a little bit about this latest stop on our tour across the South as we're getting you ready for the start of college football season and the LSU Tigers getting ready to start here Saturday, LSU and UCLA. We will have more coming up on the show. We'll have coming up a breakdown of how you can have your generator working safely during a hurricane. A little customer service for you here. Enjoy the sounds of that golden band from Tigerland as we'll be right back with y'all.
God, how do we have right around Christmas time? Mama made a turkey, Daddy was worried he was gonna have to break up. A- All right, got just a couple of minutes left here on our Monday edition. Thank you again for tuning us in on great stations across the South and at y'all.com, the South's homepage. John Rawl, thanking you again for tuning in. And let me tell you a timely story, courtesy of the Texas, where is this coming from? The Texas Department of Insurance. They've released tips on using a generator during hurricanes and other storms. Some tips of how to use a generator properly. Make sure the generator is outside in a well-ventilated area, at least five feet from doors, windows, or vents. Also, make sure exhaust fumes can't get into the house. Another tip, have a working carbon monoxide alarm in your home. That's very important. That's good to have up regardless. Also, before refueling a generator, turn it off and let it cool down. Plug appliances into your generator directly or use a heavy-duty outdoor-rated extension cord. And the last tip, again, for using a generator safely during a hurricane or other weather-related storm issue going on, have an electrician do any wiring that needs to be done. That information, again, courtesy of the Texas Department of Insurance on how to use a generator safely. And that is important to know when you have hurricanes like Ida passing through the southeast. We'll take our final break. We'll wrap up the Y'all Show just after this time. I'm going to dance up on the table, singing this little light of mine. God gave it to me. What good's it going to do me if I don't buy God? Let it shine. Hush, hush. Don't you dare say a word. Hush, hush. Kick it off, boys. All right, last segment here. Thank you again for tuning us in on Great great Station, but also on our podcast forums. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn app, Stitcher, and so much more. Just go in there and look for Y'all Show, and we're awaiting your free download right there. All right, let me give you a quick look at what is ahead on the Y'all Show going forward for the rest of the week. Coming up on the Tuesday Y'all Show, we've got a little barbecue that we've got on our mind. We're going to try to reach out to our barbecue barrister, Mr. Matt Hermans, and see if we can't get a report from him to mix in to our Tuesday fun. Also on the Tuesday Y'all Show, we have a Southern political report headed your way. Our featured school on our 44-city tour on the Tuesday Y'all Show is the Oklahoma Sooners. Our featured school Wednesday is Mississippi State. Our featured school Thursday is the Clemson Tigers. And we wrap it up Friday with the number one Alabama Crimson Tide. Also coming up this week on the Y'all Show, on Wednesday we've got a book report to tell you about. 
Thursday, hashtag hullabaloo, and Craig Faulkner is going to be back with us on Friday with his fishing forecast. Thank you again for tuning in to the show that is the South's official talk show. We are, y'all, we'll see you back here Tuesday. Tuesday.